and welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes and open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type out your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Hi, thank you, Stacy, and good evening from Israel. Uh, before we get into what's specifically going on this week, I thought we'd take a little bit of a step back, provide a little bit of context and commentary for a lot of the events that are taking place in Israel at the moment. Uh, when the coronavirus pandemic started quite a few a number of months ago, we started these webinars. Um, I said that uh, in my experience as a political uh, strategist, a communication strategist, working with Israeli politicians and politicians around the world, that a crisis such as this one is going to have extremely far-reaching uh, effects for even the most stable leaderships. And for, just for an example, we see in Germany where there's a very stable leadership under Chancellor Merkel that's done very well, relatively speaking, uh, with the coronavirus. Uh, yet still, we see very strong demonstrations day after day, a lot of unease, a lot of uh, disappointment in the leadership. Um, it's the type of crisis which, as I said, will, will bring down lots of leaders around the world and it's causing a lot of problems for a lot of leaders around the world. And Israel obviously is uh, no exception. Uh, as we know, the first wave Israel dealt with pretty well, uh, probably one of the best in the world. The second wave is pretty much a disaster. Uh, we are now per capita, the, uh, have the most uh, recorded uh, uh, number of infections, new infections every day. Uh, the economy is still tanking. Um, Socially, there is great unrest. And according to all polls, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's Ikud party, which saw a high of in the low to mid 40s in Knesset seats in surveys undertaken around the first wave or after the first wave or when we were out of the first wave, uh, now sees low, very low 30s. So they've lost at least 10 seats uh, really in a matter of weeks, a couple of months. And we see uh, Naftali Bennett's party you know, rising in the polls and other parties rising in the polls. So what do you do as a, as a strategist in these kind of circumstances? Um, I would say, you know, as someone who works in this, you know, if, if you were to be less charitable, what you do is you distract and you deflect. You try and push the issues and the agenda on a place where, uh, away from your weaknesses and the coronavirus and the economy is certainly a weakness uh, in Israel as it is around the world. Um, those who are more charitable say you try, you know, you, you try and play uh, on a field where you are most comfortable. So what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is a strategy by Prime Minister Netanyahu to highlight two areas uh, to really rally his base. Why is he rallying his base when there's no elections on the horizon? Because quite simply, everybody in Israel knows that there's elections, nothing that's taking place. And this is this is basically agreed on by commentators from the left and the right, is that we are an election campaign. Everything that is done at this point uh, by anyone in any position of power or in even in opposition is done with elections in mind. So the two strategies are on the one hand to try and get some positive ratings 
on an area or a plane that Netanyahu is very comfortable with, and that's in the diplomatic plane. We've seen uh, great achievements, uh, recognition by the United Arab Emirates, flyover rights by Saudi Arabia and Bahrain. Some other movements on some other uh, issues, they say uh, Malawi may be moving uh, some sort of diplomatic mission to Jerusalem, Chad as well. We heard this week a uh, fairly historic meeting in Washington between the Serbian and Kosovan leaders, two countries, well, depending on whether you count Kosovo country, half the world does, half the world doesn't. Um, basic, uh, you know, the sort of some level of recognition and to the surprise of many, Israel was inserted into this, that uh, both uh, entities, countries will move their embassies to Israel, uh, uh, to Jerusalem, I should say. Kosovo will be the first Muslim majority nation in the world uh, to move its embassy to Jerusalem. But of course, there's there's major spanner in the works there. Now Serbia is saying that if Israel recognizes Kosovo, then there's no chance of it moving its embassy, uh, embassy to Jerusalem. And basically, a lot of uh, there's a lot of move back from that. Uh, Chad has now said that they didn't promise uh, to move some uh, uh, diplomatic mission to Jerusalem. It was just discussed and nothing more. Uh, there's a lot of sort of uh, movement on that. But the fact remains that this is definitely something which is being played up uh, by the leading party, Likud, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. And the other thing is, uh, again, if you wanted to be charitable, you'd say trying to uh, bring up a very important issue. If you're being less charitable, you'd say it was a, an attempt to deflect and distract from the main issues of the day is the whole issue of the justice system. The justice system is an issue, a rallying point for the right in Israel, uh, where uh, a lot of people on the right believe that there are attempts by the justice minister to usurp the will of the voters who have consistently voted in uh, a right-wing government. Um, they point to the ongoing uh, case and investigations about uh, leading uh, members on the, on the right, chiefly Prime Minister Netanyahu, where there's three cases, pending the court case is supposed to begin in January. Uh, what happened this week was that information was leaked. Uh, no one really asked how the information was gained by a prominent right-leaning journalist, um, but basically which shows that there were some conflict, conflicts of interest between some of the investigators or people involved in the Netanyahu cases um, who, had a, who had conflicts of interest, either ideologically or personally. Um, and although at the end of the day, if you look into the details, they're relatively peripheral because the case against uh, cases against Netanyahu obviously not based on one particular investigator or one particular investigation. There are years and years of, uh, of, of testimony, of evidence, of dozens and dozens of people who've been called to witness. But it works well for his base, and it basically you know sort of creates these lines these tensions between the left and the right, whereas you see the blue and white party, uh, which is the left of center party defending uh, the justice, uh, the justice ministry and the justice system. Obviously they hold the justice ministry. Alvin Nissenkorn, a leading member of blue and white is the justice minister. Uh, but the rhetoric has certainly been built. Uh, we saw Prime Minister Netanyahu take advantage of several press conferences. While there hasn't been a cabinet meeting, there hasn't been uh, uh, a, Knesset, a committee, a government committee on Knesset legislation for weeks, no cabinet meeting for weeks, not even a liquid meeting for weeks. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu keeps on calling press conferences, which will obviously all the media jump on to try and uh, stream live 
uh, ostensibly to talk about the coronavirus issue or diplomatic relations. And after talking about those issues for about two minutes, he then lurches on to the whole uh, uh, justice ministry, his personal investigation, what his uh, particular uh, conditions are. And remarkably today, uh, he used uh, a Likud faction meeting in the Knesset, one that hasn't been held for a while because of many internal disagreements, to rally very openly uh, and even viciously uh, against the system, uh, regardless of where one's sympathy lies. It's certainly unprecedented today, the level of attack. And interestingly, the Attorney General, don't forget this is Avichai Mandelblit, a personal appointee and a former personal friend of uh, the Netanyahu's, um, basically said that there, there are discussions ongoing that if there are continued attacks on the justice system and investigators and attempts to, uh, as they would put it, sort of uh, shift the playing field in their, in their favor by making certain uh, political appointments to sensitive positions in the police, in the justice system, then uh, it could be that they will rule that he is no longer capable of acting as prime minister. That is a massive bombshell. And the reaction from the Likud has been overwhelming. One uh, Likud member, not a senior one, uh, to be fair, has said that if that happens, there will be massive demonstrations and he volunteers to uh, drive the bulldozer and flatten the justice ministry. I mean, that's the sort of rhetoric. Again, you know, regardless of the rhetoric, the fact that in the middle of a major, perhaps unprecedented global crisis and a national crisis, that people are talking about this works very well because it really does, it, that really is a line that's drawn between the left and right and that's a very comfortable place for Netanyahu at the moment. Um, if you go to the Knesset, which was recently reconvened, uh, it had an unprecedentedly short break of only 10 days, usually it has uh, two months and only reconvenes after the Jewish holidays, which are coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, you know, it, 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 it should be a hive of activity. There should be so much uh, going on, trying to pass laws, et cetera, et cetera. But again, all you hear is uh, uh, condemnations, counter-condemnations about uh, Netanyahu's behavior, about the justice system's behavior. And this really is where the political level is uh, at the moment. Obviously, you have a lot of condemnations. You have Natalie Bennett, who is becoming the leader of the opposition to Netanyahu from his right flank. Uh, who basically criticized this by saying that, you know, while we should be dealing with coronavirus, getting the numbers down, the health system hasn't been bolstered, even though we had an opportunity in between the waves, the, excuse me, the economy, uh, now there's talk of a second national lockdown. This time they're talking about it could be as much as a month. That uh, the fact that all we're talking about is these side issues uh, shows that we have a, a, a a deeply unfocused government. You had another bombshell with uh, a former defense and foreign minister, Victor Lieberman, coming out this week and basically saying that the uh, coronavirus guidelines change daily. You know, one day shops are allowed to open and then close, restaurants are allowed to open and close the numbers, uh, this and that. They were supposed to have a traffic light system, which we talked about last week. And the day before they were supposed to shut down 40 cities, including many of the ultra-Orthodox and Arab cities, ultra-Orthodox mayors complained to the prime minister, in fact, threatened the prime minister. And then we saw uh, that he quickly uh, defaulted on what had been a cabinet decision to close these areas to then put in a curfew, which obviously made it uh, largely irrelevant. So 
we see a very unfocused government at this point. We see a very unfocused, uh, at least you know, on, on the issues which most Israelis are concerned about, the economy and, and, and the coronavirus issue. And we see far more focus on issues which are political in nature. Um, the coronavirus numbers are still going up. We're still the highest in the world. Uh, they're creeping up to three and a half thousand new cases a day, which is uh, you know, unsustainable. We see 10 people on average die every single day in Israel. Again, um, those numbers may not be uh, large for a country like the United States, but in Israel, uh, they're pretty high and they seem to be uh, going up exponentially. Uh, no one has been able to get the numbers down at this point. We have a, a, a coronavirus SAR, uh, Ronnie Gamsu, who was brought in by Prime Minister, said ostensibly to get down the numbers, but every time he's made a decision, he's been uh, outflanked by the political leadership who has had to uh, try and find ways to appease certain uh, members of the coalition. Uh, so the numbers certainly are not going down. They, they continue to go up. Schools went back about two weeks ago and we're starting to see uh, the effect of that. Um, so the question on everyone's lips is, it's not a matter of if, but when there will be another national lockdown. They're talking about a month. They're talking about maybe throughout the Jewish holidays, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur and Sukkot, which last in total, the good part of a month. Uh, so that's what seems to be happening. Obviously, the economic uh, ramifications of another shutdown will be unfathomable. The head of the uh, Small Business and Independent uh, Workers Union in Israel said that if there is another lockdown, they will just ignore the guidelines. Uh, we see uh, basically many members of the public, the political, uh, uh, in the business world, the decision makers, opinion shapers, who are basically saying we give up on the government we are going to just do what we feel is uh, best. So there is a lack of confidence in, in the government spreading across Israel. Um, and this is where we are uh, today as, as we stand in Israel. There's, there's a lot going on, a lot to unpack. Uh, at that point, I'm happy to answer questions about this or anything else that's uh, related to these issues. All right, thank you so much. Uh, do the medical experts all believe that it is a dangerous situation if the number of confirmed coronavirus cases increases, or is this to be an expected outcome over time? And uh, is herd immunity pretty much the, the goal now? I'll answer the second part, the second part first. No, uh, first of all, herd immunity, the fact that now people are getting it for the second time it seems to be pretty much confirmed that you can now get the coronavirus for the second time, kind of to a certain extent dispenses with the whole idea of herd immunity, because herd immunity means if enough people get it, then you won't get it again, and then it can spread through a public to the point where the majority had it and the virus can spread no more. But the fact that within two or three months, I actually have a personal friend who had coronavirus pretty bad, and less than two months later, he took a blood test and he has absolutely not a single antibody left in his system. Um, so again, obviously that's just a personal anecdote, uh, but definitely the, the, scientific, the science that I've read shows that there is no long-term immunity um, to uh, coronavirus, which is also worrying uh, if we look ahead to the vaccine, but certainly herd immunity has never been a policy of the Israeli government. Um, uh, quite the opposite, in fact, especially if you look at the first wave. Uh, the, basically, the doctors and today the there was a, a conference call. Ironically, all the top people in the uh, health system, whether it's the coronavirus, Oni Gamsu, the health minister, the health ministry director general, the deputy health minister, are all now in isolation because 
someone senior in the system had coronavirus and now according to Israel guidelines, they now have to self-isolate for two weeks. So they all held a Zoom conversation today uh, with various heads of hospitals and experts. And they all said that the situation is getting out of hand. The hospital wards are starting to fill up uh, and overflow. The system is being overwhelmed. There's a lot of criticism that the Israeli government did not use the interim period between the first and second wave uh, to really uh, buttress the system, to get more staff in, more experts in, uh, more machines in, uh, more uh, tracing, more uh, sort of intelligence uh, about what's called epidemiological uh, testing and all that sort of thing. So we are pretty much as we were uh, in as far as our infrastructure a year ago, uh, which is, you know, to some people, nothing short of negligent. Uh, so the system is starting to be overwhelmed. And if the, if the rise continues, it, we will certainly get to a case, according to the, the, the people who run the hospitals, that uh, our system will be overrun. Thank you. Uh, how is the general public in Israel reacting to the unfocusedness of the government like you were talking about? Well, it's, it, there seems to be, I mean, according to all polls, uh, there seems to be an absolute low confidence in the government to make the right decisions. No one knows, you know, every day in the news, you, you know, the, the reporters go to different parts of the uh, public and ask them, you know, what, what do you see is going to happen? What do you think? And they'll say, we have no idea what's going on. We, we don't know what the guidelines are. We don't know what city. Are we red? Are we orange? Are we yellow? Are we green? Uh, you know, in the morning, you're allowed uh, to have up to 20 people mixing in a certain place. By the evening, you only allow 10. By the next day, it's up to 50. Um, are restaurants allowed to be open? Are places of entertainment allowed to be open? Are we allowed to do this? Uh, as I said, a lot of people are worrying uh, uh, about the Jewish holidays, which are starting next Friday night uh, with the Jewish New Year, followed by Yom Kippur and uh, Sukkot. And people don't know what to do. You know, these are very big events in the Jewish calendar where families get together, even far less religious people uh, go to synagogue on Yom Kippur. Everyone takes their bike out and rides in the streets. These are parts of you know, sort of Israeli society, uh, societal traditions. People look forward to it. It's a very joyous time. It's a very familial time. And no one knows what's going to happen. Every decision seems to be uh, last minute and then changed even the minute after. Cabinet votes on one decision. The next day, people wake up to another decision. So there is a, there's an extremely low confidence in the Israeli public and, and great confusion about what the strategy is because it seems to change not just from day to day, but hour to hour. And uh, the media is having a field day with it. So what is the future of the Netanyahu-led coalition with blue and white, given the rise of the Yamina in the polls? Well, this is the big question. Uh, a lot of people thought that uh, Netanyahu wanted to go to the polls um, uh, you know, when the budget wasn't passed uh, very recently. But what probably spooked him uh, more than anything else and will continue to spook him is the fact that while he certainly doesn't enjoy this partnership with Blue and White, it would be to his mind certainly preferable to having to substitute Benny Gantz with Naftali Bennett. Naftali Bennett is not just a rival, there's personal history there especially with uh, Sarah Netanyahu and Ayelet Shaked, who is Naftali Bennett's number two. Um, so the idea of uh, swapping Benny Gantz, the coalition with Benny Gantz, the partnership with Benny Gantz, for a coalition with uh, Naftali Bennett is something that certainly the Netanyahu family would not uh, seek. 
So what that, you know, we talked about this last week, that they are trying very hard uh, to dampen enthusiasm about Yamina, about Naftali Bennett. But so far, it has failed miserably because uh, Yamina actually passed the, the 20 seat threshold now. In recent, most recent polls, they're up to 21. Now, put that in perspective, Yamina, at this, as we currently stand, has six seats in the Knesset. So it would multiply by three and a half times its size. That's extraordinary. Now, polls uh, uh, are not. Uh, you know, elections. Obviously, it would be very different. And I think even Naftali Bennett understands, and he certainly has experience, that they can be very enthusiastic polls, but the results in the elections will be very, very different. But it certainly shows that there is anger and disappointment on the right uh, with Netanyahu, and they're seeking an alternative. And Naftali Bennett, at this point in time, is providing that alternative. And as much as Netanyahu does not like working with Bill White, does not like this partnership, does not like having to see a few months down the line of potentially giving over the prime ministership to Benny Gantz. He may be thinking, and his advisors may be thinking, there is some level of uh, preference to that situation, however bad it is, than having to do it with Naftali Bennett, because also uh, there's been sort of rumors that if Naftali Bennett does succeed in getting this kind of numbers in uh, elections, he wouldn't just demand uh, to be the alternate prime minister's Benny Gantz's, but actually to go first, uh, because there is no level of trust there that he would eventually uh, become prime minister, as most people believe Benny Gantz will probably never become prime minister. So in regards to Netanyahu's upcoming court cases, uh, one of our viewers would like to know about the recent revelation of the conflict of interest in one of the prosecutors. Can you discuss this a little further? Yeah, well, there's, there's, I can't remember his exact position. He, 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 he left his office recently, uh, Shai Nitzan. Shai Nitzan has been the bed noir of the right wing for many, many years. He's a person with clear allegiances to a left wing agenda. And he's been a very prominent voice in the justice uh, system. And they're basically uh, these leaks. Uh, again, we're not sure how exactly uh, uh, you know, they, they were released. Uh, someone must have gone into some private emails here. But basically, they show that Shiny Sun and uh, a few other people in the system tried to stifle certain information uh, that they felt would um, damage their case against Netanyahu, mostly in the public relations arena, not necessarily in their case. You know, no one is, no one has pointed to any specific element of the court cases coming up that were, that was done uh, inappropriately. Uh, there are some suggestions, but nothing specific, but it's more about how it would look. Um, as I said, there, there was, uh, there was a, a prominent member of the, uh, another prominent member of the justice system who was apparently having an extramarital affair with uh, Judy Moses. Uh, Judy Moses is the brother of Nuni Moses, who is the head of uh, Yediot Achanot, the competing paper with Yisrael Ayom, which is the paper run by Sheldon Adelson, very supportive of Netanyahu, and his opponents have long tried to uh, uh, sort of uh, dampen enthusiasm around that. Uh, I know this is quite complicated, and we're dealing with a lot of personalities that people abroad may not be so familiar with, but. There's definitely a lot of impropriety. Uh, some of these emails definitely show uh, that there was uh, some problematic decisions to stifle such information. But as far as the actual details of the court case, there's nothing which would necessarily uh, speak either way to uh, Netanyahu's innocent or guilt. Understood. 
so it was reported that President Trump received a nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize due to brokering the deal between the UAE and Israel. What is the reaction in Israel for this? Um, well, I mean, it's been reported. Um, I saw, interestingly, President Trump actually retweeted the Jerusalem Post's uh, take on this, uh, which was quite interesting, but apparently that wasn't the only one that he retweeted. Listen, uh, President Trump has a very high approval rating in Israel because while obviously we, we you know, Israel, Israelis don't necessarily see what's going on in America as far as our relationship to the Trump administration is extremely positive. You know, there's been many different things that have happened uh, over the last few years that definitely President Trump uh, and his administration can take credit for, uh, which are very positive for Israel. Uh, a lot of people are comparing it to President Obama's uh, nomination for the Nobel Peace Prize, which he won at the beginning of the term without actually having to do anything. Well, President Trump definitely has brokered a fairly unprecedented and historic understanding, agreement, peace treaty, whatever you want to call it, between, uh, you know, I would say that the biggest Arab nation, but certainly an important one. Um, and the fact that, you know, there, there's been, let's just talk today, today the Arab League, I think in a very relatively unprecedented manner, uh, would not pass um, a resolution that was brought by the Palestinians to condemn uh, Israel and the UAE agreement. So the fact that, you know, the, the Arab League is usually a place where even though Arab nations individually are, are, have softened their stance on Israel uh, throughout the years, the Arab League has always been more vociferous and extremist uh, in its position on Israel. And usually when the Palestinians bring something that they would like to push forward in the Arab League, it's usually passed you know, unanimously with, with very little problems. The fact that the Palestinians had to withdraw the resolution really shows uh, that we are living in unprecedented times. And this agreement is, is a major uh, cleavage in that. And President Trump's uh, sort of um, midwifing this, this uh, agreement uh, certainly is, is something unprecedented. And I would certainly argue that I, I can't think of too many other leaders in the world who have done something as impressive as that in the last year. Along those lines, do you think that this nomination would prevent Trump from pushing for the sale of F-35s to the UAE? I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily uh, affected by it. That seems like something which is going forward uh, despite Israel's reservations, or at least public reservations. Um, so I don't think, I, I don't see the two as related. And back to the government, what are the chances of Yamina, Gantz, and Yeshatid forming the next coalition without the religious parties, Litzman specifically? Um, well, that is uh, Netanyahu's major worry. It is a bit of a stretch to see that they would uh, coordinate such a position because it would need more than those parties. You could also include Israel Beteno in that, but you would probably need the support, at least tacit support from the outside of Meretz, the far left party, and maybe even the Arab uh, parties. Um, if you do the numbers, according to recent polls, at least of Likud with the ultra-Orthodox parties, uh, they are certainly less than Yamina, Yeshatid, Blue and White, and Yisrael Beteno. Neither of those groups uh, reached 60 or 61 that you need to form a majority, but they are greater in number. Um, so there is, there is talk of that. I, I think it's more of a threat. A lot of things are put out there as sort of threats just to 
uh, gain some attention, some leverage, etc. Um, it could be that we get to a stage where these parties have just had enough of Netanyahu with the sort of uh, behind the scenes support of many within the Likud who feel equally fed up with Netanyahu um, just to get him uh, you know, out of, out of uh, the prime minister's office and then obviously things can return to a sort of right left uh, paradigm. Um, I don't think it's the most serious threat in the world, but it's certainly, while it remains on the table and remains a possibility, it can't be completely discounted. And it's certainly something that will uh, give Netanyahu pause for thought uh, in the days, uh, weeks and months ahead. So to, to finish up, I know you said that the policy has changed by the hour, but is there any specific policies going into the high holidays that the government's planning to curb the spread of COVID? Well, so far, the only policy on the table is this, uh, is this uh, traffic light system, with the red cities, and orange, yellow, and green, uh, which doesn't seem to work. It seems to be ignored in the red cities, although they've said that there's going to be a high police presence tonight. There were many weddings taking place in ultra-Orthodox and Arab cities, up to thousands of people, completely ignoring all restrictions, uh, without masks, without social distancing, or with limited uh, masks and social distancing uh, taking place. So people, are, as I said, you know, it goes back to the, uh, the confidence people have in the leadership. Uh, but there seems to be a definite interest, the health ministry, and they say Netanyahu himself uh, are advocating for a full national lockdown that will work for him politically first of all to get the numbers down ahead of a potential exit from the government in December when the budget again uh, gives him an out without having to hand over the prime ministership uh, to Benny Gantz so if he was able to get the numbers down um, and then go into elections on other issues at least stifle some of the anger uh, that may work for him uh, and also it's relieves him of something that he's been threatened over. Basically, the ultra-Orthodox have said that if you keep on closing our cities, even though they are the highest, uh, they have the highest per capita number of uh, new infections, but they do not want to be singled out. And as they're the only loyal partners left of Netanyahu, he certainly doesn't want to alienate them. So whenever they have rebelled against a particular decree, uh, Netanyahu has compromised on it. So what we saw in the last wave is instead of locking down the higher, higher infection areas, which tend to be the ultra-Orthodox, um, he then decides instead just to go for a national lockdown. We saw that uh, in, the last, in the first wave. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see something similar. Uh, as I said, I think it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Okay, well, we've come to the close of our webinar. Ashley, thank you again for taking time to update us this week, and I hope we have some better news next week. Uh, on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we will have Winfield Meyer here discussing uh, Campus Watch. And thank you all again for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.